What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to The Flowered Path. In the second part of the show tonight, I will be talking about the life of St. Ledwina. She was born in Sheetham, Netherlands in 1380. St. Ledwina was a mystic who, due to a progressive illness, which onset after an ice skating fall, lived most of her life in bed. First, I would like to thank new Flowered Path patron Dave Woj. Thank you so much, Dave. And also Patrick Bonk for his donation. Thank you very much. Patrons and donations help me continue to make the flowered path and bring you more content. All patrons get the regular episodes of the flowered path ad-free, often before they drop on the regular podcast feed. Rose and Orchid Tier patrons also get shout-outs on the show. Orchid Tier patrons get monthly merch mailings as well. To check out all of the patron options and benefits, and to help me to continue to make the flowered path, go to patreon.com slash the flowered path you can also find a paypal link if you want to make a one-time donation just click the support button at theflowerpath.com and look for the paypal button that says donate and now a little bit of news Charlene Richard died on August 11, 1959. She was just 12 years old. One of 10 children who grew up in a rural area of Louisiana, Charlene was a good student and athlete, helped her family around the farm, and was well-versed in her Catholic faith. Lymphatic leukemia afflicted Charlene. In the final weeks before her death, she offered her suffering for the conversion of sinners in the imitation of St. Therese of Lisieux. Family, friends, medical personnel, her priest, and attending nuns all noted the spiritual heroism of the young girl. Charlene, who has become known as the Little Cajun Saint, was awarded the Servant of God title in 2020. Currently, the Reverend Taylor Reynolds, the local Episcopal delegate, is conducting an examination of Charlene's life and virtue. He is expected to finish this work in the coming months. 
The Congregation on the Causes of Saints in Rome will evaluate the local research on Charlene and determine if she will be declared venerable. Now I'm going to present a reading from Brother Richard about St. Francis and the Wolf of Gubbio. Of the most holy miracle which St. Francis wrought when he converted the very fierce wolf of Gubbio. During the time that St. Francis dwelt in the city of Gubbio, there appeared in the territory of Gubbio a very great wolf, terrible and fierce, the which not only devoured animals but also men and women, so that all the citizens stood in great fear, because oft times he came nigh unto the city, and all men went armed when they went forth from the city as if they were going to battle, and therewithal they were not able to defend themselves from him, when haply any man encountered him alone. And for dread of this wolf things came to such a pass that no one dared to leave the city. Wherefore St. Francis, having compassion on the men of the city, was minded to go forth to meet this wolf, albeit the citizens altogether counselled him not to do so. And making the sign of the cross, he went forth from the city with his companions, putting all his trust in God. And because the others feared to go further, St. Francis alone took the road toward the place where the wolf was. And lo, while many citizens who had come out to behold this miracle were looking on, the said wolf made at St. Francis with open mouth. Whereupon St. Francis advanced towards him, and making over him the sign of the Most Holy Cross, called him unto him, and spake to him after this manner, Come hither, brother wolf, I command thee in Christ's name that thou do no harm to me nor to any other. O marvellous thing! Scarcely had St. Francis made the sign of the cross than the terrible wolf instantly closed his mouth and stayed his running, and in obedience to that command came gentle as a lamb and laid himself down at the feet of St. Francis. Then St. Francis spake unto him thus, Brother wolf, thou dost much damage in these parts, and thou hast committed great crimes, destroying and slaying the creatures of God without his permission. And not only hast thou slain and devoured beasts, but thou hast also had the hardihood to slay people made in the image of God, for the which cause thou dost merit the gallows as a thief and most iniquitous murderer, and all here cry out against thee and complain, and all this city is thine enemy. But I desire, brother wolf, to make peace between thee and them, and to the end that thou mayest no more offend them, and that they may forgive thee all thy past offences, and neither men nor dogs may pursue thee any more. At these words the wolf, by movements of his body, and tail, and eyes, and by bowing his head, showed that he accepted that which St. Francis said, and was minded to observe the same. Thereupon St. Francis spake unto him again, saying, Brother wolf, inasmuch as it seemeth good unto thee to make and keep this peace, I promise thee that, so long as thou shalt live, I will cause thy food to be given thee continually by the men of this city, so that thou shalt no more suffer hunger. For I know full well that whatever of evil thou hast done, thou hast done it through hunger. But seeing that I beg for thee this grace, I desire, brother wolf, that thou shouldst promise me that never more, from henceforward, wilt thou injure any human being or any animal. Dost thou promise me this? And the wolf, by bowing his head, gave evident token that he promised it. And St. Francis said, Brother wolf, I desire that thou swear me fealty touching this promise, to the end that I may trust thee utterly. Then St. Francis held forth his hand to receive his fealty, and the wolf lifted up his right forefoot and put it with friendly confidence in the hand of St. Francis, giving thereby such token of fealty as he was able. Thereupon St. Francis said, Brother Wolf, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come now with me, nothing doubting, and let us go and establish this peace in the name of God. And the wolf went with him obediently, like a gentle lamb, wherefore the citizens beholding the same marvelled greatly. And anon the fame thereof was noised abroad through all the city, and all the people, men and women, great and small, young and old, thronged to the piazza to see the wolf with St. Francis. And when all the folk were gathered together, St. Francis rose up to preach unto them, saying, among other things, how by reason of sin God permits such pestilences, and far more perilous is the fire of hell, the which must forever torment the damned than is the fury of a mere wolf, which can only kill the body. How much then are the jaws of hell to be feared, when the jaws of a little beast can hold so great a multitude in fear. Turn ye then, most dear ones, turn ye to God, and do befitting penance for your sins, and God will save you from the wolf in this present world, 
and from the fire of hell in that which is to come. And when he had done preaching, St. Francis said, Hear ye, my brothers and sisters, Brother Wolf, who is here before you, hath promised and sworn fealty to me that he will make peace with you and never more offend you in anything. Do ye now promise him to give him every day that whereof he hath need? And I become surety unto you for him that he will faithfully observe this covenant of peace. Then all the people with one voice promised to provide him food continually. And St. Francis spake unto the wolf before them all, saying, And thou, brother wolf, dost thou promise to observe the covenant of peace which thou hast made with this folk, that thou wilt offend neither men nor beast nor any other creature? And the wolf kneeled him down and bowed his head, and with gentle movements of his body and tail and ears showed as far as he was able his determination to keep that covenant holy. Said St. Francis, Brother Wolf, as thou didst me fealty touching this promise without the gate, so now I desire that thou do me fealty before all the people touching thy promise, and that thou wilt not deceive me concerning my promise and surety which I have given for thee. Then the wolf, lifting up his right foot, put it in the hand of St. Francis, by which act, and by the other acts aforesaid, all the people were filled with so great a joy and wonder, for devotion towards the saint, and for the strangeness of the miracle, and for the peace with the wolf, that they all began to shout to heaven, praising and blessing God who had sent them St. Francis, who by his merits had freed them from the jaws of the cruel beast. And thereafter the said wolf lived for two more years in Gubbio, and entered familiarly into the houses, going from door to door, neither doing injury to anyone, nor receiving any. And he was courteously nourished by the people, and as he thus went through the town and through the houses, never did any dog bark after him. Finally, after two years, Brother Wolf died of old age, whereof the citizens lamented much, because as long as they saw him going so gently through their city, they recalled the better, the virtue and sanctity of St. Francis. Brother Richard's book, Still Points, is available as a hardcover, as an e-book, or as an audiobook wherever you get your books. For some reason, even though I was diagnosed with MS over 15 years ago, I never looked up the patron saint of multiple sclerosis patients until recently. When I did, I found the wonderful Saint Ledwina, who, while confined to her bed, had an interior life which was anything but boring. I've taken most of my information on St. Lidwina from the writings of Thomas Akempis. Kempis' biography was more like a collection of interesting snapshots of St. Lidwina's life, as opposed to a straight chronological biography. I will present her story in much the same way. As regards St. Lidwina and multiple sclerosis, Catholic Online notes, quote, Historical texts reveal that she was affected by a debilitating disease, sharing many characteristics with multiple sclerosis such as the age of onset, duration, and course of disease. Ledwina's disease began soon after her fall. From that time onward, she developed walking difficulties, headaches, and violent pains in her teeth. By the age of 19, both her legs were paralyzed, and her vision was disturbed. Over the next 34 years, Ledwina's condition slowly deteriorated, although with apparent periods of remission, until her death at the age of 52. Together, these factors suggest that a posthumous diagnosis of multiple sclerosis may be plausible, therefore dating the disease back to the 14th century. It sounds like St. Lidwina had progressive MS, which is really bad stuff. That's what my mom had. I have relapsing MS, which is much less of a challenge. Things can come and go. When it said it affected her vision... That makes sense. The way I got diagnosed with MS, I went blind in my left eye temporarily. I got a good portion of that vision back, probably 90% or more. But that's how I got diagnosed. So that makes sense as far as Lidwina and her course of disease sounds more like my mom's, who just got slowly worse. First affected her walking and then put her in a wheelchair and eventually put her on bed rest. And she just lost more and more use of her body as time went on. So finding St. Ludwina has been very inspiring and meant a lot to me personally. I'm happy to tell the story.
Midwina was born on Palm Sunday, March 18, 1380. Her mother experienced almost no pain during her birth, which occurred during a reading of the Passion of Christ. Ludwina had eight brothers, four older and four younger. She grew up in a poor but religious family. As a child, Ludwina was noted for her piety, modesty, and grace. Her father received several offers of marriage on her behalf, but Ludwina declared that it was her intention to remain a virgin always. At the age of seven or eight, Ludwina started a devotion to an image of the Virgin Mary in the town church. This wooden statue was carved by a local artist. It was so light that one man could easily carry it. When attempting to load the statue aboard a boat in order to take it to Antwerp, where he could sell the statue at a higher price, the artist found that the image took on a supernatural weight. Twenty men together could not budge the boat in which the carving sat. All those present decided that the statue should stay in Sheetham, where it was installed in a place of honor at the church. At the age of 14, Ledwina was struck with some unnamed illness, which caused her to lose strength in her limbs. Before she was fully recovered, she had a serious fall while ice skating on February 2, 1394. She broke a rib and developed some sort of internal abscess, which eventually burst. For the next three years, Ledwina would suffer a series of illnesses. She would be carried to church once a year at Easter to receive Holy Communion. Ludwina also began having trouble eating. Keeping food and even water down would become a challenge throughout her life. It was said that for a space of years, Ludwina took no food or drink but the bread and wine of Communion. She went for similar periods without ever sleeping. Around 1398, her confessor taught Ludwina how to meditate on the Passion of Christ. While she found this difficult at first, Eventually, this led to Lidwina recognizing the value of her pain, in that it could be offered to God for the redemption of sinners. By the year 1400, Lidwina was confined to bed. She would never walk again. A series of doctors were consulted until one made a kind of prophecy regarding the Virgin. He declared that no amount of money spent on doctors and medicine could ever heal Lidwina. But then he added that God would use her to do such great things that he wished she was his own daughter. Shortly after this, two men of Sheetham began a serious quarrel in the streets. One drew a sword and chased the other, who, in fear, ran into Lidwina's parents' house, hiding in Lidwina's own room. The man with the sword entered the house and asked Lidwina's mother if the one he chased was in the house. She replied that he was not, hoping to avoid violence. The sword-bearer, not believing, searched the house, and when he came to Lidwina's room, asked the virgin if she had seen the man. Not wanting to lie, Lidwina replied that she had, but even though the man he sought stood right in front of him, the swordsman seemed unable to see him. He turned and left. In 1402, Lidwina's mother died. After this, Lidwina adorned herself with a girdle of hair, adding more pain to her existing afflictions. Lidwina would wear this girdle until it rotted from her body, after which she replaced it with another and another until her demise. Lidwina sold all of the silver utensils and a few other silver ornaments which her mother had left her and had all of the money distributed to the poor. About 1405, Lidwina began to have a series of ecstasies and visions, which would continue until her death. Her illness, however, began to progress. Her open wounds never healed and began to putrefy. Worms ate at burst abscesses in her abdomen. They were described as gray in color, full of gray water, having black heads as large as the thickness of the end of a spindle, long as the measure of a small joint of a man's finger. Despite these disturbing scenes, the wounds did not produce an offensive stench. Those in Ludwina's presence reported either no smell at all or even a pleasant odor manifesting from the wounds. 
Ludwina developed other wounds. A permanent hole afflicted her lower body. It was so large that, without being bandaged, they feared her bowels might fall out. Ludwina's body seemed so fragile that she was almost never moved. It was feared that she would literally fall apart if they did not bind her arms and shoulders together with bandages. She was almost entirely paralyzed. She could only move her head and her left arm. Ludwina vomited pieces of her lungs, liver, and intestines, again without any stench, and those that touched the pieces of organs felt, quote, a sweetness cling to their hands for nearly a day. The virgin suffered headaches and toothaches her entire life, various fevers, swelling, and more. In all of her sickness, she was comforted by an angel, who she saw often. Once, upon vomiting a quantity of what her biographers called red water, Ludwina was questioned where the fluid could have possibly come from, as she hadn't taken food or drink in a long time. She answered, Tell me whence so much sap comes in the vine, which during winter seems withered and almost dead. Through her infirmity, Ludwina retained her senses, intelligence, and memory. Her reputation as a holy virgin began to spread, and she was visited by many asking advice in spiritual matters, or for prayers of healing. After a time, the feathers in her bed became hardened by the fluids which her wounds produced, and she lay first on a bed of straw, and then for a time on a hard plank. The winter of 1408 was so hard and cold that Ludwina's limbs turned black, presumably from frostbite, and her eyes froze shut from her tears, so that they could only be opened with the application of heat. During all of these trials and sicknesses, Ludwina never forgot the poor and often sacrificed her own necessities so she could give more to the needy. Once a woman came begging from door to door. Though many of her neighbors shut their doors, Ludwina had the woman admitted. She came to Ludwina and asked for food. All that was there was a half-full cup of wine left on a shelf, but Ludwina told the woman to drink it. Emptying the cup, the woman asked for more, but there was nothing left in the house, so Ludwina sent her away with a coin, so she could buy more drink elsewhere. Later, Ludwina became thirsty and asked for some wine. Her father, Peter, reached for the same cup the beggar had emptied earlier. The cup was then so full that the wine spilled a little as he handed the cup to Ludwina. This wine, replaced by God, was of much better quality and in greater quantity than what she had given to the poor woman. It also lasted from the Feast of St. Remigius, October 1st, through the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th. Often it seems that the devil shows up around saintly figures. St. Padre Pio and St. Gemma Galgani are just two of the saints I've covered on the podcast who had frequent physical conflicts with demons. Perhaps because she could not be reached, Peter suffered at the hands of the devil when, one night he was convinced by a man to take a walk outside of town. Though Peter believed he knew this man, it was, instead, the devil in a false form. When they came to a ditch... The devil rushed upon Peter, threw him down, and disappeared. A short time later, a man happened by in a wagon, and seeing Peter lying in the ditch, helped him into his cart, and brought him back into the city. Later, Ludwina was given foreknowledge of her father's passing. She knew that Peter was to die on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, a fact that she related to a priest the day before. Her father died the following day, as she predicted. Though having been assured of her father's salvation and mystical visions, demons tormented Lidwina frequently by telling her they had her father in hell. In one such vision, as she was walking with an angel, some demons appeared in her path, one taking the form of her father, and the others mocking and tormenting him said to Lidwina, Ah, look here, we have thy father. Lidwina simply replied that this could not be her father, and the demons vanished like smoke. Ludwina's grandfather lived to be nearly 90 years old. He was a pious and devout man who died in the same house in which Ludwina lived. 
Upon his passing, there was a violent disturbance throughout the house. In all of the rooms, save for Lidwina's and the one where her grandfather's body lay, the house shook and earthenware was broken, though the contents of the jars were not lost. It was said that the commotion was caused by demons, enraged that they could not approach her grandfather. Ludwina herself showed visible marks on her body when touched by sinners. She would manifest black marks which stained her skin for two or three days after being touched by unworthy or unclean men. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. On one occasion, a candle left beside her fell, igniting her bed. Lidwina, in ecstatic trance, did not notice the fire for some time. When she came to, her bed was engulfed in flame. Somehow, with only her left hand, she was able to extinguish the blaze. In the morning, it was a great wonder that, though the bed was burned all around her, Lidwina showed no burns on her body, not even on the hand which she used to beat out the fire. One Ash Wednesday, Lidwina's confessor came, asking if she would like him to bring ashes from the church. She said that they were not needed, because an angel had already been there, and signed her forehead with ashes. Drawing closer, her confessor saw that it was true, and, with Lidwina's permission, pressed his forehead to hers. In 1423, Lidwina's brother William died, leaving debts which his family was unable to pay. Lidwina sold her mother's remaining jewelry and placed the sum, eight pounds, in a small purse. One day she called her brother Nicholas and told him to go pay off the debts owed to William's creditors. When he was finished, she asked Nicholas how much was left in the purse. He counted out eight pounds and started to count above that amount when Lidwina stopped him. She declared that the purse thereafter should be called the Purse of Jesus. Whenever she gave alms to the poor, she would take from the purse and it always seemed to have coin inside. Sometimes Lidwina would have those she trusted count the money in the purse and then count it a second or a third time. Each time the amount increased by three or more coins. On another occasion, some poor people came to Lidwina begging for meat. She sent a message to a friend of the family to boil a ham and have it sent to her. He did this, and Lidwina had the ham divided and given to the poor. Later, when the man who provided the meat returned home, he found a bigger, better ham hanging in place of the one he had given to Lidwina. One autumn, Lidwina had a quarter of a heifer prepared and salted, along with peas, to distribute to the poor. She asked a messenger to distribute the food amongst 36 poor families. He did so, but reported back that the barrel which contained the food was still nearly full. Lidwina's own household ate of the food, and she continued to distribute it throughout the winter, giving to all who asked, rich and poor alike. By the following Easter, about half of the food still remained. Sometimes Lidwina was shown feasts in her angelic visions. Tables were adorned with all the food she had given to the poor, presented in a beautiful setting upon green silk tablecloths with the wine and crystal vessels. Sometimes she ate and drank the food, which she found ineffable 
providing what she described as divine refreshment and inebriation. She would, at times, pray that her family or friends might partake of the heavenly meals, which was provided to them in dreams. Upon waking, they would relate that they felt they had sampled the delightful food and drink, but it seemed somewhat inferior to their senses than it was to Lidwina. In some of her ecstasies, Lidwina traveled through time and space to the Holy Land. She was witness to the crucifixion and embraced the suffering Savior on the cross. Sometimes she kissed the wounds on his feet, manifesting thereafter ulcers on her lips. An angel spoke to Lidwina, saying, These ulcers that thou hast therefore received in thy body, that thou may know that thou art wrapped also in the body. In another vision she fell, and thereafter manifested a blackened bruise and swelling in that same ankle. Yet another time she was taken to Rome in rapture, and outstretching her hand, thrust her finger into a thorn bush. A thorn went into her finger, which she brought with her when she awoke. The wound from this thorn gave her great pain for two days after. At times, returning from her ecstasies, Lidwina was surrounded by a bright light which caused great fear to others in her household. Lidwina was sensitive to light and often kept her room very dark, but when she was surrounded by this supernatural light, her room was so bright that it appeared to be full of lamps and open fires. This light never bothered the Virgin's eyes. An odor of sanctity also manifested in Lidwina's room that was so strong and pleasant, people who entered not only smelled it, but tasted it, describing it as something like cinnamon. There was a devout young man named Gerard living in Cologne who, hearing of the Virgin Lidwina, traveled to Sheetham to visit her. Gerard had the calling to be a hermit and wanted Lidwina's advice and insight on the matter. Upon hearing his intentions, Lidwina rejoiced and prophesied that he would suffer want for the first three days in the wilderness, but she urged him to persist, for on the third day he would receive refreshment from God. When Gerard entered solitary life, it was exactly as Ludwina said. He remained steadfast, and on the third day received heavenly manna. Gerard wandered through Europe and eventually came to the desert of Egypt, where he made a cell inside of a tree. He passed seventeen years in solitude and prayer, before he was found by a bishop from England who had come to the desert seeking the relics of St. Catherine. Knocking on the hermit's door, they were greeted by a man who looked stout, healthy, and well-fed. Asked how he was able to live in the desert, Gerard replied that his only nourishment was the manna which God provided. When asked if there were others who lived on so little food, Gerard told the bishop about Ludwina. Ludwina and Gerard would often see each other when each was in rapture. He died on October 12, 1426, which was revealed to Ludwina in a vision. A widow named Catherine lived with Ludwina for a time. Catherine herself had a vision in which she was told, on Christmas night, Ludwina's breasts would be filled with milk. Catherine was told by an angel that she should partake of this milk. When Catherine told this vision to Ludwina, the virgin, in humility, denied her words. But Catherine said that Ludwina should not deny the words of an angel. Upon Christmas night, Catherine came to Ludwina and found her breasts flowing with milk which the widow drank. For three days after, the widow took no other food and would have continued without eating had Lidwina not insisted she take other nourishment. Lidwina was given knowledge of an impending fire that would affect a great part of the city. She asked that a store of planks be placed against the walls of her house that she might be carried out more easily if the fire spread to her home. In 1428, the fire spread and engulfed a great part of Sheetham, causing many to evacuate and leave the bedridden virgin alone. Lidwina used a stick as a tool to open and close the curtain around her bed, and to knock in case she needed to call someone in the house to help her. This stick was lost when, during the Great Fire, almost all of the house furnishings, including her stick, were taken away for fear they would act as kindling. 
The fire drew close about the house, and Lidwina, confined to bed, was unable to open the curtain to release the heat which built up around her. She was greatly distressed that she could not help herself, when an angel appeared to her and promised to give the virgin a better rod. Shortly thereafter, Lidwina felt a twisted branch, about four feet long on her chest. It was thicker and heavier than the stick it replaced. After the fire had passed, Lidwina asked her confessor to have the branch taken to a woodworker, so that it could be shaved down and shortened to about a yard in length. When the man began to work the wood, he noticed it gave off a sweet scent, and the bright wood beneath the bark was certainly cypress. Wondering at this strange wood, the carpenter asked the priest, who took it back to Lidwina and asked her where she had obtained the branch. Lidwina then told of how she received the wood. When the news of this branch spread, many came to visit and see the heavenly rod, which continued to give off the pleasant scent until it was handled by a particularly sinful man after which it no longer had a scent. Lidwina, however, often said that the devil would be chastised by this rod, and it was, afterwards, found to be a very effective tool in exorcisms. The fire in Cheatham was blamed on the sins of careless individuals who, among their other crimes, had shown a reverence to the statue of the Blessed Virgin in the church. Among these sinners was a certain woman who had given herself to worldliness, After this woman's death, a priest came to Lidwina and asked if she would pray that he might have some knowledge of the worldly woman's state. That night, the priest dreamed a vision of hell, in which he saw the woman bound in chains. Lidwina herself grieved so deeply over the sins and suffering of others that she frequently wept. Sometimes natural tears would be followed by tears of blood, which, having congealed upon her face, were scraped off and preserved by her confessor who kept them in a bag. Once, as Lidwina was preparing for one of her visits from the angels, her confessor entered her room without her knowledge. He sat quietly, observing the virgin in rapture. The angel arrived at the usual time, but flew around the room, not coming close to Lidwina. She asked if she had made some offense to the Lord, which kept the angel away. But the angel replied that it was due to the presence of her confessor, for the grace of the angel's visit was meant for Lidwina alone. Another time, Lidwina was transported to the regions of purgatory in her ecstatic state, where she saw many souls tormented, including some of her departed friends, for whose sake she performed heroic mortifications. After this, she was shown a vision of heaven where she saw many holy martyrs, prophets, and virgins, and spoke with many saints. The Virgin Mary herself addressed Lidwina in this vision, saying, Most dear daughter, let thy heart be strengthened in the bearing of sorrows. Because for these things which thou sufferest now, thou shalt gain a wondrous and great glory. Our Blessed Mother placed a veil upon Lidwina's head, saying, Receive this veil upon thy head, which cannot be upon earth save for seven hours. Give it also into the hands of thy confessor, and tell him that I require of him to believe the gifts of the Almighty Son of God, and to place this veil upon the head of my image, which is in the church. Waking from her trance, Lidwina found a flower-bearing veil upon her head. It was a golden yellow in color, made from a material unfamiliar to any who touched it, and was accompanied by an odor of wonderful sweetness. After a few hours, Lidwina called for her confessor and informed him that the veil should be placed upon the statue of the Blessed Virgin in the church. When asked how he could accomplish this, the statue was very high in the church, Lidwina informed him that he would find a ladder in a specific place in the church choir. Doing as she requested, her confessor found the ladder exactly where Lidwina said. He placed the veil upon the statue, kneeled before it, and prayed. Before he left the church, an angel came and took the veil from the statue. Before her raptures and ecstatic trances, Lidwina felt pain in her heart so intense that she had difficulty breathing. When she was in these states, her body was lifeless upon the bed. If she was touched at these times, she felt nothing. Many things were revealed to Lidwina in her raptures. She was taken into ecstatic trances almost nightly to behold visions of heaven, tortures of hell, 
and the punishments of purgatory. She was shown the fate of many religious people who, having never met them, she could give details of their lives and of churches and monasteries she had never visited. When she was visited by a certain prior, Lidwina was able to describe to him his monastery and informed him that, transported by vision to their dormitory, she saw angels standing by the beds of the brothers as they slept. Another time, Lidwina was visited by a stranger whose son had gone missing. Lidwina addressed the man by his first and last name and congratulated him on his son. Asked why she would speak this way, Lidwina informed the man that his son was doing quite well and had taken the religious habit at a certain monastery. Another monk once visited Lidwina. When he entered her room, she addressed him by name. Surprised, the monk asked how she knew him. Lidwina replied, The Lord hath granted. She was shown in her visions a certain rose tree, covered with buds, and told that when all of the roses were in full bloom, her days of suffering would soon be over. Often her friends would ask her at the state of the rose tree. Ludwina was visited so often by a particular angel that she considered him her friend. He appeared to her in diverse forms, sometimes as a beautiful man and sometimes shrouded in brilliant light, described as brighter than a thousand suns. When the angel appeared, he always bore an image of the Lord's cross on his forehead, so Ludwina would know the angel came from heaven. For, sometimes, Satan appeared to the Holy Virgin as well, taking the form of an angel of light in an attempt to deceive her. Ludwina was likewise familiar with the guardian angel of her confessor and those of many of her friends, family, acquaintances, and sometimes even strangers. One vision found Ludwina at the foot of a mountain where she encountered a man who wished to ascend, but was not able due to weakness. Ludwina placed the man upon her shoulders and carried him up the mountain. As she walked, she asked the man his name. Baldwin de Veld, he replied. On the next morning, Ludwina's confessor found her breathing heavy and suffering from great fatigue. When asked the cause of her distress, she related her vision from the previous night. When she mentioned the name of the man she carried up the mountain, her confessor replied that there was a certain sacristan in a nearby town with the name of Baldwin, but whose surname he did not know. Two days later, the priest came to that town to celebrate Mass and inquired about the sacristan. He was told that he had died the same night Lidwina had carried him up the mountain in her vision, and that his full name was, indeed, Baldwin de Veld. Lidwina once received the vision of a crucified child, showing five wounds, who appeared in the bed next to her. This image transformed into a sacramental host hovering above her. The host, too, showed five wounds. Ludwina sent for the parish priest, who, along with others who were present, saw the mystical host as well. She asked for the priest to give her the host in communion, which he did. After this, Ludwina would receive the stigmata, which, in addition to her other maladies, would cause her intense pain. At the beginning of 1433, Lidwina informed her friends that the rose tree in her visions was now in full bloom, signifying her death was near. That year she suffered greatly. Sometimes her pain was so intense that she could not speak. She was afflicted with intense toothaches and kidney stones, one of which, the size of a pigeon's egg, she declared would cause her death. On Easter, April 12, 1433, Lidwina's confessor visited her, smelling once again the odor of sanctity so often present around the Virgin. She had just returned from a rapture. In this vision, Lidwina had received extreme unction from the hands of Christ. She declared that terrible sufferings would befall her that day, and, as she heard hallelujah sung in the heavens during her vision, she soon hoped to sing it herself in heaven. Two days later, on April 14, 1433, Lidwina died. She was found with her hands joined, as if in prayer. Remember, she had been paralyzed, save for her left arm and head, for many years. The hair girdle she wore about her was found, still tied, yet loose from her body. 
At the beginning of the 17th century, the Bishop of Tournai, Belgium, declared that this girdle still exuded a, quote, wondrous odor of sweetness. He further stated that, quote, I have handled it with my own hands, and I know by experience that demons dread it exceedingly. Her face, it was noted, showed no pallor or horror of death, but instead showed a brightness which, those who saw, likened not to a corpse but to the glorified body. Her body showed no signs of the wounds which she carried in life, but appeared whole and healthy, as if she had never suffered any infirmity. The women who were set to watch Lidwina's body before burial did not experience hunger, thirst, or even sleepiness while they watched over her. When Lidwina was placed in her tomb, the congealed tears of blood, scraped from her cheeks, which she herself called roses, were placed in a bag beneath her head, as she had requested. Lidwina's tomb was visited by many faithful, who asserted that they had been cured of various diseases due to her intercession. In her honor, a chapel was built around her tomb. Her father's house, in which she lived all of her life, was converted into a monastery for the Grey Sisters of the Third Order of St. Francis, and later became a hospital for orphans. The Calvinists later destroyed the chapel, and Lidwina's relics were moved for a time to Brussels. They were returned to Sheetham in 1871. They can now be found in the Basilica of St. Lidwina in Sheetham. Thomas Akempis notes three miracles attributed to the intercession of St. Lidwina. In the city of Delft, there was a young maiden who was afflicted by an unknown disease. She was confined to her bed for eight years before a doctor mentioned to her in passing that she had not suffered so long as the blessed Lidwina had. Hearing this, the young woman started a devotion in honor of Lidwina, reciting the Lord's Prayer once for each member of the body. She was thereafter visited by Lidwina in a vision. The saint administered a medicine to the young woman who afterward was fully healed. A nun in the city of Gouda had lost the use of one leg, which became bent and shrunken. Doctors stated that there was no hope for healing, and that she would remain crippled for the rest of her life. In a vision, St. Lidwina told this nun that she should ask all of the sisters in her house to recite five Our Fathers and five Hail Marys in honor of God and St. Lidwina, and thereafter the crippled nun should be carried to church. All was done as requested, and during Mass, the nun received a perfect cure of her leg. Having been carried into the church, she left by her own power, her health and strength restored. A virgin living in the city of Leyden was afflicted with a cancerous tumor about the size of an apple in her neck. She found it difficult to eat and even breathe. She came to Lidwina's grave to implore her aid, but not receiving any healing, she left in sadness. The following night, however, she woke to find the tumor completely gone. Lidwina is patron saint of the chronically ill, those who suffer from multiple sclerosis, ice skaters, and the town of Sheetham. St. Lidwina was officially canonized by Pope Leo XIII in March of 1890, though she was already commonly called a saint before this time. St. Lidwina's feast day is April 14th. St. Lidwina, pray for us. quick note about the Etsy shop my wife and I run. The shop name is Lost Grave. You can find it at etsy.com slash shop slash lost grave. When you go there, you'll see a lot of merch from my other podcast, Strange Familiars, as well as books I've written on local legends, Bigfoot and the like. My artwork is also there, prints and originals, but we do have a flower path section in the shop and there you can find flower path t-shirts which we are getting restocks of. I should have them soon. We'll have all sizes, small through 3XL. You can get Flower Pass stickers there, and 
paracord rosaries. I've got a couple different designs there now, and I've been making one decade rosaries, which are a little less expensive. I can do custom rosaries. If you want one with a certain saint medal, you can contact me. Again, our shop is at etsy.com slash shop slash lost grave, or just enter lost grave in the search bar, and Etsy will ask you if you meant to look for our shop. The sources for this show, including the news segment, can be found in the show notes for this episode at theflowerpath.com. News writers for The Flower Path are patrons and friends of the show, Sarah and Kevin. Please like and subscribe to The Flower Path wherever you are listening. If you are inclined to leave a nice review, that will help us as well. The Flower Path is on YouTube, so please subscribe to our channel there. You can find it by going to youtube.com slash at sign theflowerpath6395. Although I think if you just search for The Flower Path on YouTube, you can find it easily. And no matter where you listen, if you like what you hear, please share the episodes with your friends and share them on social media. You can find The Flowered Path on Facebook, facebook.com slash theflowerpath, on Instagram at theflowerpath, and on the web at theflowerpath.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.